Welcome to the Enterprise Blockchain Review, powered by Fifth9. On the podcast today, we'll be discussing the impact of blockchain, AI, and 5G on telco transformation. Today, we'll be joined by Yakeen Prabdil, Managing Director at Fifth9, and Philip Harrison, Head of Digital Process at Fifth9. Hi there. Welcome to the first Fifth Nine podcast of 2020. I'm here with Yakeen Prabdiel, the Managing Director of Fifth Nine. Yakeen, welcome. Yeah, great to be back. I think it's going to be an awesome 2020. Um, it looks like it's going to be exploding with disruptive tech. Well, hopefully so. So 2019, people are saying that subtly in the background, it was a great year for blockchain and innovation, some of the things going on, not just in the telco space, but outside as well. Um, Yakeen, keen to get your insight. So let's start with 2019 as a wrap up. What would you say is the key initiatives, key changes, key moments of 2019 from the IoT blockchain 5G space? Uh, if you can give us a summary of your highlights. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is I think people have now realized that IoT is no longer nascent. It's very mainstream. I mean, we're talking near 10 billion active IoT devices, largely driven by consumer homes and uh, growth in China but surprisingly a larger amount of cellular connections. And with that comes the latent challenges of security. So some of the big things that obviously have been happening, we've seen, you know, we've seen Microsoft effectively signal and Amazon signal big, big movements in the IoT space. And it's, it's really interesting to see the big giants, not just the startups happening to offer and, and throw their weight into this place. We've seen a whole new set of containerization happening. It's no longer just the VMware and Docker that is dominating the space, but we're finding a lot of type of containers in multiple open source stacks that are, are emerging. I think there's been a ridiculous amount of interest in the startups in IoT. I believe over a billion US dollars has been raised just in IoT platforms, verticals, and security alone. And that gives us an idea of where the market's looking at. There have been no major mergers and acquisitions in 2019. A couple of Pointed verticals, and you know we know of a really cool product in IoT Next in South Africa that was acquired. But other than that, the M&A space hasn't been as vibrant as it was. And I think it's a sign that people are looking at at IoT now as becoming a strong and stable climate. So you can just picking up on you made some interesting points there, especially around the some of the big players uh, coming into it. And you mentioned security uh, a few times. Um, Let's just talk about security for a little bit. This is going to be key with the explosion of IoT devices. So if you're going to hit your 70 billion devices by 2025, they need to be able to be secure. Um, security is a key point. You know, the amount of security you put on the device or the security you put on the actual chain itself, where that authentication sits. Do you see that security question being answered mostly by the telcos who are doing the, for example, the um, could be host, well, doing the 5G network? Do you see it being done by the IoT device manufacturers or do you see it being done by the blockchain infrastructure providers or perhaps all of them working together? Where do you see that question being answered? It's asked at all layers. I mean, we've just seen the Californian Consumer Protection Act follow GDPR from last year. And it's a clear sign that people are now taking their security seriously, right? And it's not just access to social media, it's everything in your lives. So I think that the security is starting off with people becoming more conscious of what data they're sharing and how they're sharing that data, whether it's coming from a doorbell or a sensor on your hand or whether it's even in, in your home as your latest voice assistant. And if we take that forward into the ecosystem of the enterprises, and you'll see that suddenly two-factor authentication is no longer 
just good enough anymore. People are taking security very seriously from a, an enterprise perspective, specifically for IoT, not so much because they are managing a single vertical stream anymore. But I think that the explosion is showing us that the streams are converging heterogeneously. So you can effectively make analytical deductions from mon- multiple sensors, some of which are not controlled by you. So does that mean they're making sense? So I'll keep in mind what uh, T-Mobile did in 2019 with the German blockchain ecosystem. So they've effectively obviously um, offering now a blockchain as a service, a sandbox effect, if you will. So on the bottom, they've provide the infrastructure layer and provide that sandbox for applications to be built on. Naturally, they've also got the 5G network uh, and they can move into the IoT device development space. They're also making a play to cover most of the ecosystem and provide a platform for other people to build their apps on. Do you see that as the way to go? for telecommunication companies uh, rather than just sticking with the pure communication layer? I think that there's a, a very strong play for telcos recognizing that the power of hyperscale for IoT will lie in security. And part of that security challenge is being addressed by blockchain and other distributed ledger technologies. And so we've seen some emergence of blockchain as a service. Of course, from a consumer point of view, we've seen the security of blockchain wallets or crypto wallets being authenticated and federated from the cryptography of the mobile phones. And in fact, you see that the the Japanese multinationals are now hosting blockchain-based digital identities on mobile phones. So there's a lot of working groups that are looking at security at the edge. I would say that also the nature of the beast of 5G is that people are now looking at the applications that are beyond just more bandwidth and looking at the services that go along 5G, whether it's a higher level of cryptography with the same level of grade of service. Okay, so... With that security question, let's assume we're moving forward now and that security question has been, been solved. And I, I fully get there's different ways of solving it. But let's let's move forward. And where do you see the IoT and 5G um, technologies coming together? What op- opportunities do they allow moving forward, thinking smart cities, thinking of these new proliferation of different IoT devices? Where do you see the homogeneity of those technologies taking us in the future? I think the big players have already started with this. You've got IBM, you've got Amazon, and they've already started together with their blockchain providers or their blockchain technologies of choice to look at how to operate IoT systems across multiple connectivity streams, including 5G, using the power of blockchain. And I think that this, this concept of blockchain being relegated to financial transactions or being a distributed trust ledger is slowly going away. I think that people are recognizing that it is now going to become a very boring mainstream technology IT artifact that you could rely on like anything else that is in an existing TOGAF type toolbox. So based on that, we've seen that the business consumptions are more about business problems. And in enterprise space specifically, I think we're going to find a lot of implicit blockchain applications riding over IoT services. Uh, With regards to 5G, I think you find that the the ability for the speed and the latency will drive a far better real-time relationship, whether it's blockchain-powered point-of-sale machines or whether it's even at the end of consumer activation, loyalty. All of these IoT-type use cases will start to stem about. And I think lastly, you'll find that it will herald itself being able to offer probably one of the secret sources of smart cities. And we've seen that the challenges with smart cities to date is trying to get all the participants in the smart city to talk together. So one of the challenges we've seen is that you've got to put a very strong level of middleware 
you know, whether it's coming from the big giants or whether it's coming from your traditional spaces, you've got to put in a very strong mediation layer to try to get all the players to actually sh- start to share data. But by definition, you're putting an artificial control point. And I think that's where uh, Dubai and other cities who are further ahead in smart city are starting to look at how to use blockchain to make their city smarter by creating heterogeneous use cases. Okay, so with this smart city mindset, and you're right, you have to have a whole variety of IT devices. So you have to have your MBIT to do your hard to reach places, perhaps, you know, in cellars and things like that. You've got your LTM for your long distance, you know, for ship track, uh, tracking of shipping and goods. And then you've got your classic 5G. If you were going to talk to some telcos out there who are looking at the IT space, looking at this opportunity, but they're not doing much in this area, with the blockchain um, proof, with all these now variety of devices of IoT and the smart city now starting to come together very slowly, where would you advise telcos to start? Would you say, look, guys, focus on your MBIoT with the, um, you know, over the 5G, looking to blockchain to do that kind of um, device linking, perhaps with smart meters because of obviously the UK regulations to get all those out? Or would you advise them to, to use a different kind of technology, group of technologies? Where would your advice be for them to start? Well, I think that, first of all, the question is slightly misleading, that telcos have slowly realized that they no longer can just simply become part of the connectivity play in the next five years. They need to be part of the solution. So we're finding that telcos are evolving themselves to becoming tech players, whether it's as ambitious as becoming platform companies or whether they transforming internally to start to offer more digital experiences. So I think that from from the telco perspective, it's not going to be so much about them providing a very large number of pipes. I think it's about telcos providing the values that come with telcos. I mean, fundamentally, telcos are very secure industries that understand how to manage cryptography keys. And in a sense, they're very close to banks because they have the hardware secure modules, they have the technology that has the ability to do, for example, PKI type blockchain technologies. So these sorts of things are, are, are very important. And I think telcos will use those uh, levers to start to differentiate across the tech space. I mean, there's, there's some really good examples where there's some new blockchain centers around the world that are creating common trust protocols. And of course, these are cities, you know, namely uh, Beijing, Geneva, and Toronto, that are starting to work together to create these trust triangles. I believe that the telcos will play an important role with 5G and the edge technology to be able to create the trust triangle extension down to the edge and to the fog. Okay, so with the um, telcos, obviously, then using the other suppliers for IoT devices and such like out there. Um, that, that makes sense. That's that's logical. And we'll obviously have to see how it goes for different telecommunication companies who want to differentiate themselves. Um, I want to take a bit of a spin now, if that's all right, and go into a slightly different topic. And I want to talk about how this affects end users or the, the, the average Joe out there. Um, Initially, I'd like to talk about sustainability. So sustainability is obviously massive. 2019 had a huge global um, voice around sustainability, climate change, and all the rest of it. Where do you see blockchain, IoT, uh, even a bit of AI in there with the telco space? How, where do you see them playing within the sustainability? Do you see it as a vertical which they're going to be moving into? Do you see it as something that gets ingrained in all the uh, implementations and the solutions? Where do you see sustainability having a play? So I think that 2019 is very interesting, just like how we saw the wave of IoT 10 years ago. We saw sustainability raise its head. And today you can find 
you know, sustainable components, whether it's disposables or whether it's uh, clothing, effectively showing it, showing provenance on various systems. Uh, but they still relegated to a luxury market. They still haven't reached the, the cost point for your everyday consumers. And, and I think one of those challenges has been trying to demonstrate that ability to create something sustainable and deliver it through its logistics means ha- is actually what it says it is. And, and that's been an, an expensive cost point to date. And that's where I think people are starting to use blockchain either for using provenance and, uh, you know, you've got uh, very nice fair chain type blockchain solutions. You've got uh, solutions on sustainability that talk about shipping and transfer of oil in the enterprise space. You've even got them uh, describing uh, specific uh, clothing needs of telling you where your thread or your coffee or, or where your consumables come from. And I think that that's going to happen slowly but carefully. And, and, and I'm hoping that within time, very quickly, that moves into the commonplace area and is not just limited to the luxury goods. Being that as in May, I think that blockchain will provide us with a very easy means of showing this uh, sort of thread, picking up the provenance, picking up the ability to pay people fairly, to use resources wisely, to be uh, zero water or zero energy proof. And and that's something that we will naturally uh, take on board as a proof point. Much like today, the role of the dice in a casino, you trust the casino that they're using an algorithm to roll a fair dice. Now, gaming industries are looking at smart contract-based uh, randomizers that have been audited and validated by third-party notaries. And so too, I think that the uh, sustainability model will fall into that play where the industry will generally use a commonplace set of vectors to create trust. And uh, you know, fair chain is one of them. But I'm hoping that there are many others that, that pop out where we get a place to be able to illustrate provenance without the heavy lifting to bring down the price of those consumables. And that's the absolute key bit, the price of it. I mean, I'm a uh, firm believer, thing, as you know, that blockchain is a system where, yes, it's an immutable record, but if you have rubbish in, you have rubbish out. So you need to have IT devices out there at all the key points in a, in a life cycle to show that supply chain to prove nothing's been forged off-chain, if, if you will. And But for that to happen, the price has to fall to make it mass marketable. Um, obviously, 5G is an enabler of, of that, and now allowing, as we said uh, before, the LTM and the MBIT and all the rest of the devices out there. Do you think that's going to happen in our lifetime to make the, those devices cheap and cheerful so they can be used and therefore be applied to all goods, not just the luxury goods out there? Or do you think we're much, you know, think we're quite close to that? Do you think it's quite far away? I'm confident that it's going to happen in our lifetime. It has to happen in the next next decade because we've got to do something about climate change. And I think people in the tech industry more than everything else are actually taking this quite seriously, which is always good news for the planet, right? But in saying that, you're seeing that it's not just consumer goods. I think that people are also taking the technologies and understanding that their influence, their behaviors to each other, the ability for them to interact with each other is now taken a bit more seriously. Whether it's privacy data, you know, whether it's things that you can say that you can never unsay. I think there's a level of trust protocol that's now being created it, it makes the bones of something, you know, that people are now referring to as the Internet 2.0, where if there's a distributed system where blockchain or, or, or the next evolution of blockchain will have its space, then we can create some sort of universal trust protocol 
for this internet 2.0. And I think that's where everything starts. I mean, if, they, if, if we've learned anything in the last 20 years, it's that the internet is one of the biggest game changers of crowdsourced intelligence. And, and so that's, I think, where, where people are going to be looking towards, that, that the, the digital source of media and information and, and assessment gathering will be coming from a, a new trust protocol and that new trust protocol will then define behaviors, and those behaviors will then encourage consumers to uh, behave a bit more responsibly, and that will drive down those prices. Okay, the next topic I wanted to go on to, a bit of a change on this one, is to look at shared mobility. Yikin, um, I just want to, for you to give a bit of a brief to those who are listening on what shared mobility is and how it works with regards to blockchain and IoT, what the benefits would are, because not everyone could be, would be familiar necessarily with the, with the terminology. Let's talk about shared mobility. Yeah, so I mean, I think everybody's understood shared mobility or at least interacted with it. If it's a ride-sharing service like Lyft or Uber, or even catching a cab with one of your friends. The whole point of shared mobility, in a sense, is for, for you to be able to get about without you being able to drive or effectively take single-person transport. And this, the shared mobility concept is effectively uh, democratizing transportation as we know it. It's everything from ride-sharing to municipal transport. Air travel is a good example of shared mobility. But the, the shared mobility and the concept of being able to take a ride when you want to to where you want to go. And Uber is a very good example of doing that. There seems to be a new economy that is being formed with shared mobility. Now, we've seen a lot of ride-sharing applications where it's it's now the new boon, specifically in India and Brazil, where if you've got a scooter, you can take people, give someone a lift or ride along with them, or at least provide that level of uh, shared mobility experience. But it's not an Uber service. So you're not an Uber driver. It's effectively a ride-sharing service, you know. And so people are looking at shared mobility not only as a means of sustainability and traffic, but there's a real problem with the whole concept of being able to even afford the maintenance and the life cycle of any vehicle. The the ride-sharing economy has effectively disrupted your traditional transportation. And I think what we're now seeing is we're now seeing blockchain-based services where Instead of ride sharing, you're talking about car sharing or car ownership sharing. And Mercedes, BMW, and other of the big marquees have started to put in services, whether they put the key fob built into a digital contract on your mobile phone for you to be able to share share vehicles, all the way down to being able to uh, looking at summoning. Uh, autonomous vehicles. There's a movement of shared mobility that is erupting beyond just your traditional ride-sharing economy that we understand today. So, regards to the end consumer, how does that? Let's let's make it real for the average Joe blogs listening to this. What was this given? Does this give them a new income stream? How would they how would they make money from this? Where's where's the money? So, so I think that the money play here is that everybody can effectively act as as an autonomous. Uh, service provider if they need to. But unlike Uber, where you you have to join and subscribe and prescribe, we're talking about self-driving cars and being able to share other forms of mobility where you don't take on 100% of the ownership. And there have been really good examples in specific cities like Stuttgart, where you can actually rent a vehicle, but partially rent the entire lifespan of the vehicle through what piece of shared mobility you want to partake in. And that effectively is equivalent to many people sharing a yacht or a painting. This is a effectively just democratizing an asset. Um, but unlike those assets here, you want to actually participate in using it. So 
from the most basic timeshare to the call on demand or the hail on demand services, we are talking about people effectively now sharing uh, ownership of vehicles and they don't need to trust each other. Okay. So this seems like it could also be this this concept, obviously not the vehicle aspect, this concept could be shared. So let's say you had a um, security camera on the street that could be shared ownership between um, the council, the police force, even the utilities companies, anyone who wanted to rather than pay for something outright, but share the use of the service, uh, they could all co-invest on it and share that, get some return from that, from that use of that item. Um, so is that what you say? Or do you see this purely being from a, end consumer perspective of shared ownership. Also, your example was a consumer model, a bit more business. Yeah, so shared mobility specific on autonomous vehicles and, and well, on cars specifically. Um, and I think autonomous vehicles and 5G will have, have a great impact on shared mobility because suddenly you have the ability for the asset to travel to you when you need it. I, I think but I think but keeping keeping in line with shared ownership, which is then an extension of shared mobility, I think you're gonna find that you're gonna find two concepts here. You're gonna find the assets like the cameras on the street having some some sort of shared component as per you, as what you've said. But I have a feeling that you find you'll find shared ownership happening in more the digital space where you'll have data assets being traded and exchanged and shared across uh, a plethora of systems so that people wouldn't have to install the same sensors in the same vicinity for different use cases. Okay, which is definitely from a B2B side. So I want to keep on the um, consumer side as well for this for a bit to make it uh, for the end user. Um, do you see the world opening up to more of a C2C marketplace? So I've got a camera outside my house and someone wants to have access to it because they've just been in an accident and want to see that data. Um, or even a C2B where I've got energy coming in my roof and I want to sell that to the, the, to the energy company. I know that's there today, but having a blockchain base will make that completely irrefutable of that uh, transfer of data. Do you see that space of C2C and C2B being massively opened up regards to that sharing and transfer of data, of ownership of that data as well? I think we're going to start to create a new concept where it's not going to be just the consumer or the business, but there's going to be a new player called a platform. So you're going to have a C to platform to C. And, and these platforms are effectively going to be the trusted nebulae that we will connect to to effectively join this uh, shared ownership and, and shared data digital structures that we are constructing. So in terms of the video feeds, as an example, whilst I would like to understand your video feed because it may help in understanding what has happened at my house or, or yours, there's a level of privacy that needs to go along with that. And that's why I think that there'll be a consumer to platform to consumer type service that will emerge that won't necessarily have a business inside it, which is why I separated from a platform. You're going to have a, a set of systems that effectively are going to help consumers and protect themselves both from a privacy point of view and from a, a fraud point of view. Yeah, I think that will be a, a massive boom for the end consumer, wouldn't it, uh, allowing them to utilize their IT devices uh, for their own benefit, not just for the, uh, the, the service the business has given them while they bought it in the first place. Um, Okay, last thing I wanted to go on to is get your view, your forecast. So thinking innovation, what do you think is going to be the show-stopping changes we're going to see in 2020? Um, I'd like you to have, I'm going to put you on the spot here and give you, ask you for an example from the business side of the world and also perhaps from the consumer impacting side. And what's your top predictions? So I think the most obvious one is we're going to find some really cool applications, some killer apps, if you like, for 5G. I, I think that people haven't discovered them yet. And I think from a, from a 
pure telecommunications point of view, I'm keen to understand what people are going to start to dream up and use this technology. I, I don't believe it's going to be your standard autonomous cars, gaming, and just simply fast data. There's going to be some use cases like drones and smart cities that are going to pop up that we haven't even dreamt of yet. So so first of all, I think that there's going to be a big play with 5G. I think what we're going to find is we're going to find these new type of capabilities in the enterprise space, like artificial intelligence and machine learning as a service. Now, I know we've seen semblance of machine learning and artificial intelligence as a service, but we've also started to now see Amazon and other players starting to offer quantum compute as a service. And I think when you start to combine these two things, we're going to get a very strong play where uh, artificial intelligence done on the cloud is going to be much faster and orders of magnitude more secure than done on any edge of a compute. So that's going to be something that's going to be, uh, I think for me, a, a super exciting space to look at because whilst you know you get AI as a service and you get these training modules, I think the ability of tacking on really serious compute power and the power of crowds means that you're going to get objects and seed recognition in these AI uh, learning algorithms coming up to play faster than we've ever imagined. And uh, I, I take you back in time to you know, the crowdfunding experiments of, of, of yesteryear where, where you've got lots of people looking for objects or, or things of interest in order to see neural network events. And I think that's going to be coming more and more mainstream. So, so people are going to participate more in the seeding of these AI as a service capability. I think you're going to find that you're going to see a stronger play for cryptocurrency. I think we're going to see that the, the birth of the Bitcoin and, and Ethereum you know, has given us a, a set of new tools to understand money. And I think that that concept will then evolve into a second and third generation. I expect that in 2020, we'll see a bounce back of those technologies and those cryptocurrencies not being used simply peer-to-peer, but being used for applications. So where we start to see intelligent applications on each side starting to trade cryptocurrencies for services or for digital assets. And on that note, I guess, uh, what was a few, week, like a few weeks ago, the uh, was it the European Commission started a consultation, didn't they, on their EU framework for markets and the crypto assets. We'll see what uh, comes out from the European Commission, the rules and regulations, hopefully in 2020 as well. Yeah, ex- exactly. But, uh, you know, we've all focused on cryptocurrency as a peer-to-peer financial transaction. And then we've separated blockchain historically as, as a type of protocol that allows us to create trust. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to start to see cryptocurrencies and applications start to work much more stronger together where things can autonomously purchase uh, microservices or microassets from other things. Eugene, just before I come on to the last question, let's talk about Fifth Nine a bit for the moment. So can you just talk about some of the exciting projects that Fifth Nine are involved in at the moment with regards to iChain and blockchain? Yeah, so I think um, what, what is super interesting for us at this stage is we are pursuing some disruptive experimentation on some of the very uh, subjects we've spoken about from quantum compute in the cloud to looking at uh, crowdsourcing AI and machine learning. But coming more closer to point, we've actively got minimal viable products in, in design and architecture space that are looking in the in the IoT blockchain world that are closer related to enterprise services, um, focusing on subjects such as uh, the latest uh, NB-IoT billing trends and how we're going to solve those roaming challenges with the the plethora of a large number of microtransactions across these very small narrowband IoT sessions. And I think that's that's a, an interesting blockchain challenge that we are looking to solve. Further to that, we've got, uh, as we mentioned, about the ability for edge devices to talk edge to platform to edge 
And we're not looking at consumer just yet, but we're now looking at devices that have simple autonomous decisions to be able to exchange through the blockchain and, and be able to exchange their digital artifacts, their sensory data on a on a on a service that isn't centrally controlled uh, by one player. So there are there are some very interesting blockchain, IoT, and AI projects that are ongoing. And, you know, we, we correspond quite heavily with big enterprise customers, as well as uh, use a lot of startups and, and, and incentivize and mentor them to be able to help us, you know, cut through this. So it's quite interesting to see what's going to happen in the next couple of months. Wow, that sounds exciting. And so that leads me to my very last question. So Blue Sky question for you. Fast forward now, December 2020. How has your life changed as an average person, consumer in the world, because of blockchain, IoT, and 5G? So I think with, with 5G, and I have to include the narrowband IoT capabilities inside the, the 5G space, I think it's, it's made a huge dent on what we're going to see and what we're starting to see. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have experiences in the narrowband IoT and 5G labs in Vodafone. And I must say some of the applications and the devices that are being created there are super exciting. I mean, you can't wait to see what, what's going to come out. Effectively, it will replace long-range Bluetooth. I think that that's, that's one of those things that are, you know, will definitely uh, impact us. I think from an IoT perspective, personally, I'm a big fan of all of the home automation technologies. Uh, one thing that has affected me is I've seen firsthand some of the security challenges with consumer electronics in the home. And, and I think that that's a clear sign that there's going to be far more bad actor uh, momentum in the IoT space, unless we get a really good handle on the security space and understanding exactly how we manage our own data. So those are two eye openers for me. Super. All right. I think that brings it to a close. So all it does is leave me to say thank you very much. I'm Philip Harrison from Fifth Nine, talking to Yakin Prabdiel, the managing director of Fifth Nine, and we were talking about um, IoT, 5G, blockchain, and AI, and target transformation, and what we see happening in 2020. Speak to you soon. This podcast has been brought to you by Fifth Nine Digital. You can find us online at www.fifth-nine.com. 